Well, hello. I am Mark Washbourne, co-founder and CEO at ReadyTech, and we are back. Yes, that's right. It's my great pleasure to welcome you to the start of a brand new season of the new and improved Ready podcast. So much has happened since we kicked off our first season. The last year or so has really been the continuation of, let's face it, a bare knuckle roller coaster ride for just about every one of us. And I think with so much changing right now in the world of work and society at large, there's a massive need for technology folk like ourselves to help navigate this new and complex environment. So our new season, season two, will be all about doing just that. We've got some seriously amazing guests lined up covering a range of important topics related to where we all find ourselves. My plan is for them to help us stand back and rethink some of the problems we face and to uncover opportunity to do work that really matters. I'm really, really looking forward to sharing these guests with you. I hope you are, well, what else? Ready. So let's get straight into it. We're definitely kicking off the season with a bang. It seems no matter where you turn right now, there's a powerful change or an industry being flipped that you just can't ignore. So today we are talking digital transformation. How do you go about harnessing it? What does great look like? And why does it matter to your world? To answer these questions and many more, we're joined on the first episode of season two by Mr. Mark Cameron, CEO of digital consulting company, W3 Digital. I asked Mark to walk us through a special mini masterclass of sorts, covering the what, why, and how of digital transformation, and it's all jam-packed into one hour. With decades of experience helping organizations navigate a change in digital landscape, Mark has helped businesses transform everything from their operations and business models to the way they interact with customers, as well as design and build out their culture. Mark also teaches MBA students a masterclass in digital transformation leadership at Deakin University. And that's exactly what we attempted to do on the pod. A deep dive into what best practice digital transformation looks like and how to build a vision, but also to execute on your digital strategy with the precision of a samurai warrior. So without further ado, let's jump in to the discussion with Mark Cameron. So let's welcome the man himself, Mark Cameron. Marky Mark, how are you doing? I'm very well. How are you? Extraordinarily well, thanks. Uh, really fantastic to have you on the podcast. We've known each other for some time and I came across, I think, some of your work supporting customers of ReadyTech over the years, which has always been very impressive. Uh, so I uh, couldn't really think of anyone better with whom to discuss the topic of, of digital transformation. So, yeah, thanks for coming on. And thanks for yeah, thanks for inviting me. Really looking forward to the discussion. Awesome. So, look, the tradition uh, on this show, uh, which is really all about the future of work, future of education, you know, is I always love to to ask and understand how you got to where you are today in in your own business uh, and, and and your own career. So, can we start with that? Would you mind sharing that story with us? Yeah, absolutely. I think with a lot of people who've made a career in kind of the digital and technology space, it's not a, not a straight line by any stretch of the imagination. Yet there was, when I started my career, a career path towards doing what I do now just didn't exist. So my career started when I, you know, I was about 18, 19. I started in advertising and marketing in New Zealand, as you might be able to tell from my accent. And uh, as I was, you know, sort of working in that industry, I and mean, it was really, you know, super inter you know, interesting industry, lots of 
creatives, lots of really interesting stuff going on. But at the same time, uh, the internet was starting to become talked about as a thing. You know, this was definitely this was before the world, really before you know the World Wide Web proper, definitely before Google, definitely miles before social media or any of those kinds of things. And you know, I was really attracted to that. Um, one of the issues I had with the kind of the advertising industry as a whole was it was just it kind of had to dumb everything down. You know, the, to, to make a message appeal to individuals, uh, well, you know, to, to large groups of people, you had to kind of find the common denominator. And I always thought, you know, is there is there a way to speak to people more, you know, more relevant to them and, you know, treat them more like humans? And then when the internet started coming along and seeing the information that was coming out about that, that, you know, went, this is this has to be a way to do that. Yeah, so I, you know, I moved to, I moved over to a company called Hyperactive in New Zealand, um, which was a, Know, sort of a large uh, digital agency uh, and worked on a whole range of really interesting projects you know worked on the uh, you know the website and web strategy for for, for New Zealand post for in New Zealand beginning of 2000 realized you know there was a lot more happening overseas and wanted to head you actually over to the US I, I uh, lined up a job with a company uh, over in in New York and then you know came to Came to Melbourne with my girlfriend at the time, as you know, it's often the case, in 2001, with the view of going, well, you know, I'll try and maybe stay here for a year and a bit and, and then head over to that job in New York. Um, and then, of course, September 11 happened. Uh, the world started to change pretty quickly. Um, and there was, you know, a dot-com bubble and burst kind of around about the same time. Uh, by that stage, I'd sort of become a little bit of a digital strategy gun for hire. So I was, you know... I, that, that job ceased to exist in New York, so I, I, you know, I started doing a bunch of freelance projects, which in, in the digital strategy space that had a bit of a marketing lens, had a bit of a brand lens, had a bit of a technology lens. Then I uh, yeah, joined the company and was now in about 2003. By about 2007, had taken the, the company over and started to restructure it. It was more kind of at a looking probably a little bit more old school in the way it was in the direction. So transforming it from being what it was to being more of a, a digital agency, I suppose. But um, my passion was always much more in the kind of the strategy, business advice kind of space. Yeah. Um, so then started taking it in that direction. Uh, and then over the last few years, um, have yeah, we've moved from being kind of more of an agency model to more of a management consultancy model yeah. where we advise boards and CEOs around you know, future technology and digital transformation space and and really, you know, how is technology impacting their their strategy and how, how do they get the most out of it? So that's more or less my journey. I did a lot of speaking and, and teaching and so on along the way. Oh, that's fantastic and such incredible breadth of experience across digital. So hopefully we can uh, pick up some of the insights through some of those big projects and strategies you've worked on today. So, but Mark, um, I know you're currently running, of course, the Digital Transformation Leadership Masterclass uh, at Deakin University. It's obviously part yep. of their executive MBA. Uh, it must be uh, a fantastic thing to be involved with. What we thought we might be really good fun for today would be to spin through some of the, the really key pieces that, that make up that masterclass mm-hmm. and uh, give our listeners a mini masterclass, if you will. Uh, so y- you're up for that, yeah? Yeah, absolutely. Sounds like a great idea. I think it's... Uh, this is all. This is like it's all about micro learning these days, right? You know, we're, yeah. we're all about. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So, Bite-sized chunks. Yeah. <laughs> so I have another idea which I haven't shared with you yet. So I think anyone that listens 
to the end of the show and also pass as an assessment, we'll send them a micro credential. How about that? It's a great idea. (laughs) (laughs) We'll see. We'll see. We'll see how we go. But whichever way, we really hope listeners come away feeling really educated and informed. So let's start with definitions, if we may. Sure. I feel feel that there might be confusion out there. uh, And I think the concepts are really important to understand. So, you know, in your very learned view, what's what is digital transformation and what is digitization? Yeah, that's probably at the heart of everything, really. So first of all, yeah, I think those two terms get confused a lot. I think programs that are called digital transformation are quite often actually digitization. So how, how do I sort of separate those two things out? Digitization is the process of or, or the activity of taking a business process and putting it into technology. So where there might be a lot of manual or there might be um, lots of different systems coming together you might move everything over to a large system you know you know the the famous sort of ones over the last you know a few years have been obviously moving to ERP systems CRM systems marketing automation systems etc in many cases those are digitization activities so in and of themselves that's great digital transformation is actually culture Um, so yes you import it you're building in you're building in software and you're putting in technology, but it's actually about the culture. It's actually understanding that in order for your organization, started kind of starting at a different point, you know, for in order for an organization to be highly effective in today's world, it's got to be able to understand technology and operate within a highly digital ecosystem and make the most of that. And that comes down to culture. It comes down to how people view things, how people are viewing their jobs, um, you know, there might be structural changes, there might be KPI changes and process changes. In many cases, it's more than just getting cost out of an organization and making things move faster, which often can be what a digitization process is about. You know, how do we do exactly the same thing that we've always done, but a bit faster and cheaper? Often digital transformation results in new revenue, new ways of interacting with your customers, new opportunities that didn't exist before by leveraging technology. I think that's super helpful and a fantastic place to start. So I think that's clear. So to build on that further and something you touched on there, interested to, to hear if you've, you've sort of seen that definition or the focus of that transformation landscape changing. You know, I've listened to, to some of your stuff online and I've heard you say before, it, and it really resonated with me, with my observations, that there was a stage that there was a very big focus on aspects like CRM and and connecting the different services of the customer, a single view of customer, and and now it's moved onto a sort of wider, more holistic digital approach. Is that is that correct? A, a way to think about the evolution of transformation? Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think it's probably worthwhile, you know, thinking about it from a historic standpoint and what the macro forces were at play. Yeah, um, where you know, so I mean, obviously with big investment in technology comes is when there's usually some kind of large economic impact happening. Um, so the last big drive around, uh, you know, digital and, and technology investment was following the GFC. And the biggest problem that most businesses had following the GFC was how do I find, engage and retain the customer? Yeah. Reason being is that the media landscape had just exploded. You know, the, the, Beforehand, it was pretty easy. It was, you know, TV, radio, newspaper, you know, you come up with some creative, you push some stuff out and all of a sudden you've got a customer. That was no longer the case. And 
thinking about how businesses find customers became much more difficult. Obviously, social media and and you know YouTube and all these kinds of things have started to explode. So and search as well. So the focus came about what do we uh, you know came and really started honing on what do we know about our customers and how can we speak to them in a personalised way to to bring more customers in. So that was that drove you know CRM, it drove marketing automation, it drove you know technologies around social media, it drove at a corporate strategy level that grow it drove the thinking around customer centred strategy, you know because they didn't have to do it. Now, all of a sudden, they had to do it. And the information that they were gathering by doing that was actually driving new insights and new ways of thinking. Now, of course, we're just we're in the middle of another large economic shift that's happening right now. You know, the, you know, COVID being the catalyst, obviously, but a lot of other kind of impacts happening globally. And the biggest problem, while, you know, finding, engaging and retaining a customer is still a problem. It's, it's a bit of a known thing now. Um, the technology keeps evolving without a doubt, but more or less, if you you know you throw a certain amount of money at that problem, you kind of know what you're going to get at the end of it, more or less. What's different now is how do we find, engage, and retain talent, and how do we get more revenue out of the customers that we already have? So how do we think about revenue diversification and all of these, all of those things start to come back to you know the business model. So it's there's probably you know, shift that there's obviously another great shift happening right now, but it's actually more fundamental to the way a business operates than, than the previous one. Yeah, no, that's really helpful. I think so much of transformation has been about elevating that customer experience, right? And putting the customer at the heart of that transformation. I think, you know, you talked about macro shocks. I think it's the very, very tight talent market, you know, the war for talent, if you will. It feels like it's very much increasing that uh, focus on the employee experience as, as a really strong, I guess, consideration in the in a transform in the transformation project, right? Absolutely. I mean, don't get me wrong; it's not sort of one or the other. I think you know, having a very very key focus on on customer experience and understanding the customer, it's almost like kind of table stakes now. Like you have to do it, otherwise you get wiped out. Um, but I think yeah. that you know, then the new competitive landscape. Um, yeah, absolutely. As the employee experience, and you know, and then that kind of how those things come together to create new product offerings, new new ways of doing work. Yeah, no, cool. Maybe a quick snapshot of digital transformation today, and I guess the state of transformation. You know, you mentioned there about the adrenaline shot provided by COVID, right? Yeah, yeah. And uh, you know, keen to hear if you think you know more organi- more organisations are ahead of the game or falling behind, and. Um, I guess is you know is the pace very different across sectors and and if so why might that be the case? Yeah, well I think everybody likes to likes to try and find a you know like where's the perfect example where's the best practice. Yeah. I think yeah I think that particularly and particularly in the Australian context I think yeah you know, the best practice is actually really really hard to find because it's by definition when you when you, you think about things it's, it's very very contextual. Um, and what may be best practice in the US doesn't apply at all in Australia sometimes, or might, you know, little parts of it might. Um, what may be best practice, you know, in Europe obviously doesn't apply here, and what may be best practice here doesn't apply elsewhere. Um, there's a lot of those, you know, or everything from regulatory constraints to 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 cultural context to just the maturity in the uh, in the employment market, all those kinds of things, you know, play a different role. There are obviously some organisations and businesses and sectors that are having to change a lot faster 
you know, the banking sector is a very good example of one that is, you know, having to make me a very big leaps forward because, you know, their, their core parts of the business model are risk from all sides. You know, you've got you've got the large technology firms like Apple and Google and so on entering the payment space. You've got governments, you know, bringing in regulatory changes, which are then allowing, you know, open banking essentially, which is allowing, you know, more startups to be able to access and provide banking services. And then you have those startups themselves who are, who are entering and trying to, you know, gain market share and create new offerings. That's one sector that's moving, you know, very, very fast. And then you've also got this huge legacy technology in the background for most of these banks that is actually preventing them from moving forward. So they're having to make big investments to be able to sort of, you know, essentially sort of, you know, retire that legacy software. There's other sectors, you know, that are moving much, much slower. Um, but most sectors that have a offering that is going out to customers um, are be the ones that have been moving quite fast, you know, of recent times. And then I think, you know, the ones that are really struggling for talent, particularly, you know, technology talent, you know, particularly that talent that's, that's you know, highly skilled and, and um, globally in demand, they're the ones that are also investing really, really heavily in, in digital transformation initiatives right now, whether that is, you know, purely from an employee experience or more, much more holistically. That was really interesting to hear those perspectives. So for anyone listening, sort of big step back, can you share why... Why do you think that leaders should see digital transformation as, as absolutely a business imperative? You know, what, what are the underlying reasons that it, it's, it's, this is a non-negotiable for every organisation? Look, I think, you know, every, every organisation um, has hairs all over it, you know. <laughs> you know there's no, no perfect no organisation. Um, Apart from yours yeah. and mine, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think, you know, particularly businesses that have had to scale very quickly. So, you know, you're looking at businesses that might have government overlap. You know, so education is obviously a really good example there. Yeah. Um, you know, some financial services, you know, all sorts of businesses that that have had to scale very, very quickly. They're the ones that are, they're often are the ones that are struggling the most and are losing talent very, very quickly yeah. um, in the current environment. Mm-hmm. And it's, a lot of that comes back down to the way that their technology works the way that processes have been designed. And because of that, the way that they have to manage the business. Now, everybody can see a better way put forward. Most of the time, you know, board, the leaders, the executives can see a much better way forward. They know where they want to take the business, but it feel, can sometimes feel like it's stuck. Well, the Digital Transformation Initiative, as I said, if particularly if you think about it as a combination of, of you know, large-scale technology investment and then change management, cultural, you know, cultural shift and very, uh, how do I put it, probably best, uh, I suppose, like bold and courageous um, vision setting, you know, trying to define and carve out a space for yourself that, that doesn't exist elsewhere. Um, that's where you can you know, obviously get wholesale change within inside an organisation. It's hard. Absolutely, it's hard. But it's in some cases, it's a, it's a, you know, existential necessity. And, you know, in other cases, it's, you know, it's just how you're going to be able to keep you know, keep the business operating in an effective manner. And competing and thriving, right? Yeah, totally. So you touched on a few elements there, the leadership, the, the, the cultural change. Now let's, I think hopefully we'll be able to touch on all of those because we're going to get into our masterclass now or our mini masterclass. <laughs> so um, so part one, right? Let's think about this as uh, maybe we'll call it semester one, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we'll, <laughs> we'll think about this as as before you start. And uh, maybe we can try to dispel some myths at, at the same time as we go along. So, so to kick off, 
you know, this is a conversation that we have all the time with 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 customers at, at ReadyTech, and I know it's a really big consideration for management teams. And it's wanted to kick off with a, a question of scale and sequencing. Yep. Should we should we think about digital transformation as as a series of projects, or you know, big switch over, or the big bang, or, or an incremental sort of phased approach to change? How, how should we sort of think about that first up? Well, I think first of all. It's not a destination. Yeah, I think that's first and foremost. It's not somewhere that you 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 go. Oh, look, we're now digitally transformed. Like you know, you're never you're never going to sort of sit back and feel like you're finished. I don't think. And that's I think understanding and accepting that, because by definition, what digital transformation is, as I said, it is responding to a technology-driven, highly dynamic environment, which is essentially the whole world economy now. And how does your organisation respond? to you know to an environment that's becoming increasingly dynamic that's essentially you know starting point um what's right for your organization is you know big bang um lots of small projects um you know many projects running at once that's going to come down to a lot to do with you know the individual business yeah um if often before a digital transformation exercise is designed in the right way there are a lot of misstep you know missteps so they might be, you know, organization might try and do a lot without sort of thinking about the, the cultural aspects, without thinking about the change management aspects, without thinking about the leadership and the vision. And as a result, actually find that the technology projects aren't going as well as they would hope. Um, and in that case, you've probably got, you know, some change fatigue with inside the organization. So breaking things down into smaller manageable chunks become and, you know, sort of evidence and momentum kind of approach you're sort of proving to the organization this is what we're doing and you're building that momentum and building trust as you go is a really good way to go other times if you know particularly if there's been a, a, a you know quite a large scale restructure at the top maybe it's been driven by the board there's a new ceo in place there is you know a new executive team in place and there is an acceptance to, to take on a very bold vision then you know doing some big bangs can actually be the way to go. Right. Um, you know, those are high, those are sometimes higher risk, but if yeah. they can be managed the right way and they can be led the right way, and um, particularly if, if it's not just pushed down to you know sort of a technology delivery arm of the business, it's actually owned and led and talked about by the by the business leaders, you know, this you know CEO, strategic leaders of the organisation at all times. Um, then that start to shift the culture and people will start to see, you know, the rest of the organisation will start to see opportunities to do things in new, interesting ways and build on that big bang approach. Yeah, that's really interesting. I, and I really think the same, you mentioned about momentum. You know, I think one of the, the benefits of, I guess, an agility in transformation, you know, the, the benefits can be huge. I think some of the most successful projects at ReadyTech I've seen in recent years with customers have been really, you know, a, lots of phase steps uh, lots of mini releases of, of software uh, and i think you know as well as as, as de-risking um, and being able to consume that change in a in a digestible way i think the biggest thing for me is that you get these learnings along the way and you know you get better at better at all of the disciplines uh, of transformation with that with that phased approach and plus the fact that you know you, you your actual business needs are changing continuously aren't they over a you know a multi-year program um and an agility can help you respond to that well agility is like a super interesting word in that regard isn't it i mean even if you're doing the big bang or you're doing the small approach i think business you know 
thinking about how you set that up from a project perspective um, and how you talk about it. I think agility, you know, so agile is the term. Um, obviously, you know, it's something that started in the software space by small sprints, then learning. Fundamentally, what does business agility mean, though? You know, that you've got the technology agility. Business agility is essentially that, isn't it? it is, it's saying, how do we become agile? How do we move and respond to market forces and do small chunks and be able to create value rapidly, then learn and then change direction if we need to? Um, you know, it's essentially the same thinking um, that you take into a kind of a software project, but you're doing it as a whole of business approach. Yeah, no, absolutely. See that. So, and, and I think it's sort of really useful to establish that as a management team, you know, those sort of concepts before you start, right? Yeah, totally. Absolutely. Yeah. It's sort of like, you know, it's almost a philosophical way we're going to approach it. Um, totally. And that's where, you know, as I said, sometimes that, you know, even when a, a big bang or a big, you know, tempo project, for example, can be something that can help that because, you can sort of draw a line in the sand and say, here's how we did things previously. Here's how we're going to do things from now on. And everything is going to change around that. You can sort of do the, your organizational structure, your KPI changes and everything before the, that activity starts. Yeah. Um, and then use that activity to get everybody, you know, working in the same way. Yeah. So before you start, you know, you mentioned about momentum, you know, sort of getting that buy-in. I think one thing that can hold organizations back is if there's been, previous failures of projects and you know i think I'm sure we've seen where people have, have ended up becoming distrusting of large technology projects yeah you know people have been burnt right so uh so you know how do if if you experience that as a leader how do you help people get past that you know to start to set themselves up for success and, and get comfortable again with taking on some risk i think the design phase is incredibly incredibly important i think when you you know Going through and thinking about the discovery, like, like you can see there's an opportunity to, sh you know, to shift to a new large system. Um, you can see the business benefits that it can bring, but being really, really clear, making sure that you're good doing you know, a really detailed discovery, building out really detailed business requirements, and then that design phase, getting everybody involved, um, you know, using that customer lens, using that employee experience lens, thinking, you know, building out those journey maps, you know, all of those kinds of areas, that's, that's one more way of making sure that you get the right level of buy-in throughout the organization. I think also, again, having a very bold vision about why you're doing it. One thing I like to say to, to, to you know, CEOs and business leaders and so on when they're working on digital transformation initiatives is it's always going to be more effective as if, if your organization is running towards something than away from something. So if you're running or if you're just running away to, if it's a defensive initiative, you know, we're trying to do this because everybody else in our industry is doing it and we're falling behind. It's not really inspiring. Now you might get the same results and you have that same impact, but think about one, something that's, you know, big and bold and something that people want to head towards. Something unique to your organization feels like something people could get behind, right? Absolutely. And it feel in, you know, as you say, everybody can feel inside an organization the parts that aren't right. And they all, everybody, it's sort of the change management stuff. Everybody wants everybody else to change, but nobody wants to change themselves. You know, so, so if, if you can sort of build a unifying vision that says, you know, here's the thing that we're heading towards and here's why. And, you know, clarify that over and over and over again. Build that North Star up. Um, then you've got something that people are running towards. And that can often, you know, be, be that kind of unifying way to get people to head in the right direction. The other point is, you know, again, 
think about the um, you know sort of work through how the project governance is you know governance and you know communication is going to work that that ongoing leadership so you're not sort of dropping in as a leaders you're not dropping in you know once a month just to slam you know slam your fists on the table table and tell everybody things aren't going well um, <laughs> you know but that's, that's probably not a good way to make things work um, um, but it, it's you know much you know much more kind of a rallying cry and talk you know just sort of painting that vision on an ongoing basis yeah i think that's you know really important makes total sense so in your master class i'm sure uh, as part of the mba you know you, you talk a lot about strategy uh, around digital yep. transformation and i'm sure this is a extremely big topic and uh, but, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> more than we may be able to consume today so just t- talk, talk to us about the development of a you know coherent strategy you know what is what does good look like good says almost as starting from a point where you've got to imagine that everybody has a very different viewpoint you know i mean that, that's that's basically start with everything to do with strategy you know if you're using a term like digital you know most of the terms inside technology everybody has a completely definition of what those things mean. Totally. So, you know, really well-researched is a good starting point. You know, so thinking, you know, as I said, do all the research inside the organisation, outside, to, you know, think about why you're going to head in the right direction, in a certain direction, um, and then work out how that's going to be different. You know, like one of the ones I love to talk about um, and point towards is, and, and this is, you know, a bit more kind of branding, marketing, you know, is, is Nike, um, you know, and so it's a well kind of well worn one, but I think it's still you know really, really, really you know bold, strong initiative that's still having an impact within their organisation now. Because you know, sort of 15, 16 years ago or so, when they you know they were thinking about things that they could do in the digital space, you know, social media again was on the rise. There was you know bits of there was you know starting to become clear that you know the business is having a bigger digital presence, online presence was going to be the way that, you know, going to be yeah. the way of the future. Most of their competition was starting to do what everybody said was best practice, which was let's go and capture as much customer data as we possibly can. You know, we'll look at all these different sorts of data that we can get, we'll, you know, and then we'll segment that and analyze that. And then we'll refine that into finer and finer segments. And then we'll send out messages and we'll get people to buy stuff. That's fundamentally what best practice was, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, there was, you know, there was probably lots of very long papers to make that sound and pad it out, but fundamentally that's what it boiled down to. And what Nike did, which I think was really, really bold and really brave, and I think really set the tone for the organisation for a long time, um, was they said, no, our brand is not about selling shoes or selling clothes. Our brand is about performance. What can we do through the digital means or technology means to help our customers perform better and understand performance? And so, you know, they realized they didn't actually have anything to do. So they invented it. They created the, you know, first of all, it was the sensor in the shoe. You know, it was called Nike Plus, you know, sensor in the shoe. Then it became a wristband. Then it became an app on your phone. Then it became, you know, a partnership with Apple where they had, you know, that it was, they've got, you know, the Nike, the Nike um, Apple versions of the Apple Watch. That would be uh, NFTs now, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and, you know, they've got basically, you know, this, they've created this huge, huge, huge digital ecosystem Yeah, where, you know, people are connecting to each other to, you know, there's run, Nike run clubs and all, all sorts of other sports way, you know, ways of connecting through different sports, tracking your own performance, understanding how you can perform better. They've essentially enabled a community through digital means around their brand but by doing so, have huge amounts of information about how people are using their products. 
you know, you know, they'd know probably within this, you know, a two or three week timeline when somebody is, you know, when a pair of running shoes needs to be replaced, you know. <laughs> so I think that's, you know, thinking about how that works for your organisation, how something as simple as that to that effect can be the kind of unifying principle is a good thing. And, and by doing that, what I'm saying is what's the one thing that you can do to be better than everybody else? Because I think the way a lot of businesses get caught up with digital transformation is try to do everything. They try to do, you know, too much and by definition don't do anything particularly well. Really great examples, really solid advice. So another element of before you start, I guess, is is you know, do you do you sort of recommend a sort of an assessment of the the baseline digital digital maturity and you know, what sort of, what elements should you be looking at before you start to I guess to sort of know where you're at? Yeah, absolutely. As part of that sort of discovery and research phase, I think, you know, doing some kind of baselining of, of your organisation against others in the industry. Um, I, re- I always advise these days to look outside your own industry. Digital transformation, there's, you know, every every business is a kind of a unique snowflake, you know, but um, there is a lot happening in lots of other industries for lots of different reasons. Um, and learning, you know, thinking about the learnings that can be you know, taken from a completely different industry and applied to your own is very, very valuable information as well. Yeah. But yeah, absolutely doing some kind of baseline and thinking about the, the, the areas that, are, that you need to excel at, um, think about the areas that, you know, you need to be kind of okay at, um, you know, areas that maybe no, don't need as much focus. Those are, those are really, really important parts. And that will also start to help to drive thinking about, you know, structural changes, you know, the operating model of the organisation, you know, how the, how the KPIs work, all of those kinds of aspects. And then from that point on, yeah, as I said, you know, really start to hone in on the, maybe the, the one or two things that are going to have the biggest impact on the organisation. Again, because it's a cultural thing, you know, again, you don't want us to a project that will burn everybody out. You want to do a project that's yeah. going to get everybody understanding and seeing much more clearly the vision that yeah. you're trying to paint for them. Yeah, that that one or two big things, and which can be very impactful, can can be those sort of rallying themes, can't they? Uh, that uh, you can show really good evidence from. So yeah, I really like that. Um, so and there might be people listening that are thinking about the investment side right now, or you know, getting over that investment hurdles so can you talk to us a bit about building a case for change you know the, a sort of strong investment case yeah yeah absolutely I mean, again i mean there's, ne- there's never kind of a I, I, I don't like to say there is a best practice for these things i mean there's definitely you know evidence you can sort of pull from all aspects and there is an element of you know of each organization having kind of a little bit of unique history in these things but i think one of the best you know one of the easiest ways of, of building out evidence is around a business case is to start thinking about, you know, where is, you know, where is there currently waste? Where, you know, so, so you know, where is the things that are in the organisation that are actually holding you back from achieving what you want to do? And why are those things holding you back? So where are the systemic issues with inside the, the organisation and how could they be addressed? Often in the in organisations like education and, and others where they you know, have to spend a lot of time with students, where you have to spend a lot of time with customers um, in some shape or form, the thing that's actually holding the organisation back is actually not spending that time with the customer. Yeah. 
So where are the aspects that can be automated? Where are the aspects that can be digitized that actually free people up to do more of that face-to-face interaction and more of the creative work or the you know innovative work that actually helps the business achieve its mission? That's where you'll find a lot of you know ways of actually sort of building out an investment case for for um, you know to particularly you know to get things started. But then when you I think you know the ones that are always going to be much more impactful is where you find new revenue. Yeah, that's the one that's going to be much, much, much more impactful. Yeah, um, you know where you can where you can actually see there's a whole new way that we can operate here. There's a whole new thing. There's a whole yeah. new offering that we can take out to market. It's you know I mean working on that you know just getting cost out of the organisation is never that exciting. New revenue, new ways of operating. Yeah, you know activity that's going to drive demand for new capabilities um, and new conversations inside the organization rather than kind of just doing the same thing over and over again. Um, That's going to, that's where you're going to find the best information for a business case. Yep. No, that's superb advice. So before we move on, still on part one of our masterclass and before we, you know, break for go off on spring break. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if this uh, analogy is working at all, but I'm going to run with it. So look, be, before we uh, move on, any other considerations up front? What, what have we missed? Well, the one thing that I would say to um, everybody who's, you know, working on the on the masterclass I teach, and, and, you know, that masterclass is, you know, as I said, it's a security MBA. The people have been in business for a long time and they're moving into a role where they have to think about digital transformation for the first time. And, you know, often they come in thinking it's going to be all about technology. The one thing I say is, is you know, it is very much more about about the change in the organization so when you're building your strategy yes you need all that research you need all that rigor you need to sort of go through and build out the you know the investment case and everything else but fundamentally the strategy you need to boil down to one page and it needs to be very very simple language Um, you need to get rid of everything to do with jargon you know you need to probably you know, if there's been technologists involved in developing the strategy, you're probably going to need to take a very, you know, take a, a strong sort of pencil to that and make sure that, you know, that any of the concepts that may be just natural to technologists are removed and taken, you know, boiled down to, to language that can be, you know, super, super, super simple. The reason being is because it needs to be able to be understood, agreed, and you need to know that you have alignment but before you start because, you know, those terms within inside a strategy, you know, if, if they've got different, you know, people have got different viewpoints about what those things mean and what it means to them and their role, um, you'll find, you know, things become difficult very quickly. Yeah. Um, and, you know, you might want to make sure you're, you're designing the pro, you know, the following steps in the best possible way. Yeah, no, that's brilliant advice around the simplification. So moving to part two, this is, I guess we'll call this the doing part, you know, the executing on the digital yep. transformation and, uh, Look, I, 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 this might well be actually part of the before, but you know, you talked about discovery, analysis, and and design. Uh, so, just be good to talk about just some of the considerations here. What are really good practices here? Now, what, what and what type of capability uh, does a business need uh, to uh, to get to do this well? I mean, it depends what how ambitious the organisation is. So, yeah. if you've got a if you've got a really ambitious organisation that wants to think about. Um, not just the next, you know, next couple of years. Um, you know, they're thinking. You know, they're thinking about building a digital strategy that may outlast all the executive, which I would, you know, highly recommend in today's environment. <laughs> um, then, you know, you, that discovery exercise needs to be looking 
broad and external. So you need to be thinking about, you know, emerging technologies and how they, they may impact the organization, what different forms that may take, how they're impacting other sectors um, and, is, and where, what may be the, the lag and impact for your sector um, and when it may emerge. So there's kind of like broad analysis that, that needs to sort of happen uh, externally. And when you're looking at journey mapping and you know research, you know thinking through the design, you know, so and that design aspect. So service designers, design researchers, and really really good business analysts are obviously going to be going to be required. Business consultants that can speak technology, that's super super important. Yeah, it's a lot of of the piece you know that that we try and perform often, which is that how do you how do you translate technology conversations into business language. Um, how do we make sure that the non-technical stakeholders are getting involved uh, in the conversation and they're understanding the concepts and they're understanding the investment decisions as quickly as possible? That's, you know, those, those are the types of skills that are going to be really required. There's lots, I mean, there's lots of other skills, you know, there's, there's going to be, you know, subject matter experts depending on the direction you go. There's going to be technology experts depending on the direction that you go. Um, but those broad ways of actually bringing all that together and actually, uh, turning it into something that that can make can be simplified and make sense is is you know always you know super super necessary. Yeah, so totally makes sense. In my experience at this stage, and what I've seen, this has been quite common, is that businesses can run into quite high degrees of complexity here. Here, right? It's mm-hmm. you know that you get bogged down in detail and you know just end up sort of feeling like you're walking through quicksand. So, can you talk to us around what do you teach around managing complexity in transformation projects and you know how can you help us think about cutting through that complexity yep so i mean there's a range obviously there's a range of capabilities in the market that you know that that when you're looking at that discovery and analysis phase you know things like enterprise architecture and so on that you know have complexity in there but that that, uh they've been trained to try and simplify that down into visual terms but overall i think taking a lens or a couple of lenses inside the organization that that can create narratives that simplify the messages and simplify the reason for doing things is a really good way of actually going, hang on, that's, you know, that's really important, but it's actually not helping us deliver what we're trying to do here. So that's why I say, take, you know, thinking about the customer lens, you know, those customer journeys, mapping those out and building out a narrative around how the customer is moving through parts of your organization. The same thing with employee experience, you know, how's employee coming into the organization, how they're driving value, what does their career look like? Um, how are we, you know, how are they operating inside the organization? Those kind, that kind of lens, that kind of narrative gets rid of a lot of the technical stuff and it allows a very simple human-based conversation to happen, which is, out, you know, very outcome-driven. You know, what is it that we're really trying to do here for this customer? What's the outcome that we, they need off the back of this? What is the outcome that our employee needs off the back of this? What's the outcome that we need working with the employee and the customer? the back of this those are really simple and often what we've seen is mapping those journeys out you know into and we've, we've you know again we've done this in the in universities we've done the TAFE we did it with um you know in in healthcare actually healthcare was an amazing one I mean we had you know a whole bunch of health professionals both that kind of you know doctor level uh, nursing level and then kind of you know administration level throughout the organization actually seeing the patient and supporter so the family of the patient's experience all the way through the process, it was the first time they'd ever seen that end to end. 
Um, and it drove, you know, massive insight with inside the organization. You know, they're yeah. actually able to see, Amazing. you know, visually, mm. if this happens over here, can we get that right? We can see the impacts all the way down to, you know, to, to before, you know, and we can understand why we're getting frustrated with a business process because we're not dealing with this bit right up front in the best possible way. You know, and that that became yeah, created huge clarity and all of a sudden drove, yeah. you know, drove big need for shift. You could apply that to really any business customer journey, I would think, right? A hundred percent. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I think that's the point is, you know, it's, it's trying to build it into a really simple narrative that yeah. has, you know, here's what people are doing. Here's how they feel. Here's what they're saying. Yeah. Here's the things that they're interacting with. And then all of a sudden, you know, the, the technology piece becomes less about how do we capture all this information necessarily in, you know, like a big form maybe, um, or, you know, but it becomes, you know, what's, you know, you know, how do we, how do we create the best possible outcome? So it might be, Maybe we need to create a better user experience. Maybe we need to, maybe we're missing information altogether. Um, you know, maybe there is, you know, maybe there's one more step or maybe this process has just organically devolved over time and we need to redesign that whole process because it's actually not, it's not actually producing great outcomes for anybody. Yeah, no, totally. Now, right, right at the top, you, you know, you talked about, one of the biggest pieces here is the the cultural change, but also the this you know the change management piece. Mm. I think I find this really really interesting area, and and maybe you'll touch on it. But you know I've just seen too many times that it's the change management piece that's kind of is underinvested and maybe somewhat of an afterthought in these in these types of projects. So you know, can you just give us some practical advice? You know, what do you teach around you know the cult of cultivation of the right you know mindset and culture uh, around change? Well, I think you mean change management as a term, um, you know, has different meanings for different people as well. You know, sometimes yeah. change management is training people to use the software. Um, and that's an aspect of change management, of course. But I think, you know, organizational change management, which is the culture and getting people to want to use the software, participate in the process and build on it ongoing is much, much more challenging. Yeah. Again, it's coming back to, you know, to ownership and communication, you know, for you know, for the executive team, you often to to achieve what they want to achieve. The whole organisation needs to come on that journey um, and needs to believe it. And come and so, you know, building out that building out that vision as I was talking about before, building out the narrative around that, and having a change management process in place or a change management program in place that keeps keeps that going and keeps you know challenging, coming up with challenging thoughts. When you're in that kind of process of change, it can be, you know, become feeling very, very mechanical. It could be, you know, just about a list of tasks. Often what we say to the executives is, you know, the person who wins, who asks the best question is the person who's winning, you know? So, so you know, when, while sometimes there are, you know, a large number of tasks that need to be completed, you know, completed, there are a large number of technical things that need to be done, taking a step back always and going, what is this doing? How is this achieving? How is this improving? How is this, how is this connecting back to our mission? Are we still on track? You know, what does this mean in the context of what's happening externally? And asking those questions and getting people to ask those questions so it's not always internally focused. Yep. Um, you know, actually making sure as much as possible is externally focused. You know, it's, it's happening and for the benefit of the employees, for the benefit of the customers. We'll have that, we'll have that massive, we'll have that impact ongoing. Yep. Part of that change management 
what could come with that, you know, is, is maybe a sense of overwhelm, um, mm. you know, change fatigue, you know, for management teams. So, you know, what, what can you, what can you talk to us about, you know, the, I guess the talent side and, you know, keeping people feeling motivated and, and energized uh, you know, around these, uh, these large projects. I think one of the most difficult things that any leader for, you know, for a medium, large size organization has these days is change is not something that happens once every so often. Change is now constant. And, you know, there's very few people who have come into a role, um, you know, where they're, they're performing a particular role and they're going to stay in that role for a long period of time. There is, you know, there's job titles that exist now that didn't exist five years ago. There's going to be a lot of job titles that exist in five years that don't exist now. I think having those open, honest conversations really, really quickly and early on inside the organization is very important. I think also those, you know, saying we can't have big change all the time, you know, where are the, how do we design this? Where are the, where are the waves that we're going through? Where is the high impact versus then how do we embed that into place? And sometimes, you know, the high impacts are sometimes the, you know, the really big projects and then you can embed it in place where it's smaller projects that are having an incremental change, but we're getting, you know, we're getting cultural change. We might be shifting teams, et cetera. You know, that's, that's definitely, you know, there's definitely one way of, you know, sort of, of looking at it. I mean, one, one thing, I mean, I'll tell a bit of story here. Back a, back a few years now, probably, you know, 12, 13 years ago, did uh, some work with a very large technology firm in the US. And, you know, one of the things I noticed there, there was a very different way that that firm was thinking and operating and talking than was existing here in Australia. As you know, Australia had, you know, was, was doing very well, but the US was definitely in pain at that point, you know, just following the GFC. Um, and what became clear, you know, every single exec said, words to pretty much the same to the you know the same effect which was our you know shareholders are losing uh, confidence as a result our market cap is getting eroded if we below fall below a certain point um, we become a takeover target so we need to look at every single line of business every single market every single product set and reinvent what we do I think that's happening right now actually <laughs> across <laughs> across the technology landscape again as as interest rates go up and valuations are being rethought, but now it's interesting. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, it will be. Um, and, and I think you know what was what was clear there is they said you know look we know that eighty percent of that you know we've you know we've trained people up for you know a period of time we're now kind of in the exploring phase you know sort of like it's going to be like nine months of doing that they had a sort of timeline on how far they were going to go on the exploring phase and they knew that you know they said you know, we know that a lot of this is going to fail. But the, you know, the 10, 20, 30% that works is going to change the shape of our business for, you know, the next 20, 30 years. And, you know, that's clear vision, clear purpose, you know, crystal clarity in why they're doing things and where they're heading, which I, you know, I thought was, you know, very, 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 you know, insightful. And then I think, you know, in Australia, the same period of time, you know, speaking to business leaders, there was a bit of, you know, our economy's doing pretty well. We've got mining, uh, we've got trade with Australia. Um, you know, a lot of this new technology stuff sounding a bit scary. Um, you know, we'll wait and see. Yeah. I think wait and see turned into, oh, we now need to catch up. Catching up, by definition, when businesses are trying to catch up, what do they do? They'd look for best practice. They look for lessons learned overseas and they try to apply those lessons to their own business. But often the context isn't right and the outcomes, 
it, you know, they fall back to just you know, deploying the technology maybe. But yeah. it's actually the going through the pain of, you know, training people up, bringing in new skills and actually pulling apart teams and bringing them together and finding new things and finding a whole bunch of stuff that doesn't work. It's that pain phase mm. that actually changes the shape of the organisation. It's not the bringing, not the implementing of the technology. Yeah, wow, that's very, very insightful. That's very useful. I think you mentioned there about failure, and I was going to come on to a topic of, you know, what you think successful sort of program management looks like, and you know, the tracking of progress, success metrics, and you know, keeping, you know, by way of example, uh, a lot of organisations, you know, will have boards and governance governance factors. Uh, and if you're going to try things and you're going to break things, right, there's going to be failure. So, to, to, can you talk, talk to us a bit about that? You know, that program management side. Yep, um, I think you know. First things first and foremost, you need the organisation needs to develop you know kind of decision and you know investment framework around that. And you know, there's you know you can always think about you know what are our you know high risk you know where does it fit? Is it going to be high risk, high impact? Um, so we put a bit of money into it. Is it low risk but reasonably high impact well that's where we're going to invest most of stuff is it you know um, you know so think about how your investments work and and then how's that's owned within inside the organization um you know so how the decisions are made throughout the organization around those kind of those new initiatives those new investments so basically what it's doing is you're creating an environment for things to be explored lessons to be learned and documented and then you know initiatives to be canned if need be quickly without creating a culture of blame you know sort of you know where well that didn't work so it was therefore your fault so you're out the organization that kind of stuff because often it's those as again it's the it's the pain of you know when you're talking about agile you're talking about fail fast those kinds of things it's the failures is where the learn the learnings often are and so how can you speed that up and, and allow those learnings to exist with inside the organization and you know, create the incentives so for people who want to want to improve next time and be better and be better and be better until finally they crack something that you know has a massive impact on the organisation. And I think that's really really important. Obviously, you know, having a really well developing a really mature project management you know philosophy and program management philosophy that keeps communications open, that keeps the board aware of what's going on. Simply, um, I think you know, boards you know often get lots and lots and lots of data reports that they have no idea how to read. Often, so you know, so having a really you know across all those different projects, what's the simple narrative that exists with inside of that, that that a board member needs to know and needs to understand, um, and then how does that fit in with your sequencing and orchestration? Um, you know, so then again, any. Anything that's been learnt can be applied to future projects and potentially more, you know, bigger and higher risk projects that are mapped out a little bit down the track. Yeah, awesome. I really love that stuff about keeping it simple and crisp, as well as capturing those key learnings. So, look, last part for today, Mark, and I was going to call this sort of post transformation, uh, but you, you've already said that there is no post, right? There is no end. <laughs> but, but maybe you know, towards the end of a, a, a project, you know, everyone's high fiving. 
know, we've had the party, there's empty drinks bottles all over the place. Because I think celebrating the success is, is very important, right? And I think it's, yeah, an area, totally. it's an area that I've really excelled in, to be honest. Uh, but <laughs> <laughs> <Well done>. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, t- talk to us about the, you know, the latter stages, you know, uh, post-transformation. You know, you, you said that there is no done future state, right? Yeah, I mean, I mean, obviously, you know, when you're do, doing a strategy, there is a, an as-is and to-be, you know, well, here's where here's our current state and here's our future state and here's where we're heading. And when you actually start working on it, there's new stuff. You'll find new stuff. The, the environment will change. The context will change. You know, you'll adjust and shift. But you eventually get to, a you know, an end point with a particular project, obviously, where it's delivered, um, it's signed off. I think going back and working out you know, having a really, really clear kind of, you know, sort of post-mortem, going back and working out what what did work, what didn't work, you know, how do we embed the learnings and what do we need to do to make sure that the capability that's been developed and the language and culture and momentum that's been developed around this project gets locked into place. Yeah. You know, because it's quite easy for an organisation to just go back into BAU and things to actually slip backwards. So what are the what is the activity that needs to happen underneath that to make sure that it gets locked into place? So for the when the next you know, the next project or the next initiative, you're taking a step up, not having to start again. The retrospective idea and and continuing to lift up and and be better next time is really resonates. So, you know, what do you think? What does a digitally transformed world look like to you? <laughs> and it's so big. There's so many. Look. <sighs> You know, I spoke a bit about before about the GF, GFC. Yeah. Um, and, you know, the GFC was massive, yeah? Like, in terms of technology, it was massive. We, you know, really set the platform for businesses like Google and Facebook and so on to to exist. It gave, you know, created the, the platform for, you know, Apple to become the biggest company in the world. You know, it was its impact on the world economy it was has was enormous and has, you know, and continues to have, you know, really, really large ripples. What's happening this time is orders of magnitude larger than that. The reason being is that we're not just talking about customer. We're talking about, you know, all aspects of business. We're not just, you know, we're talking about every single aspect, you know, every single part of the economy is starting to be digitally transformed or technology transformed. We also have a whole range of technologies maturing at once. You know, we've got biotech, we've got, um, you know, things like, you know, at a network level, things like 5G and, you know, where that's going to be here. We've got, you know, artificial intelligence that's moved out of kind of theory into day-to-day practice. There's just whole categories of technology now that are, that are matured to a point where they're having fundamental impacts on the organisation and working together to have impacts on organisations and sectors of the economy. So, what does a digitally transformed world look like? Going back to your point, it, it, it's very, very hard to sort of say what that looks like for any, you know, as a whole world. But what we can say is that, you know, things are going to be a lot more autonomous. Um, you know, organisations um, where they'll be heading is going to be that, you know, that kind of, there's going to be a lot of automated decision-making, um, probably a lot more, tra- you know, transparency as the kind of analytics uh, you know, as the data moves into analytics, moves into moves into insights, um, making a making the operations and the activity of an organisation transparent to the right person at the right time. You know, I mean, it would be the you know the dream of any CEO to be able to you know talk to a digital assistant and say, what are the four things I need to focus on today, and not just a person telling them because obviously that comes with political agendas sometimes, but the whole organisation 
actually in all the different parts of the organization to actually be able to come up and say, these are the four things you need to focus on today. And imagine that for every single other person within inside the organization. That's probably, you know, the direction that we're heading from when we're looking at all the combination of, of you know, network automation um, and AI. Um, when we're, you know, when we're heading into uh, kind of the customer world, um, you know, my view is, you know, a lot of people love to talk about the latest kind of shiny things. Um, and the latest shiny thing at the moment is the metaverse. Um, and what, you know, to me, I think it's probably the most dystopian thing I've ever heard in my entire life. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's a lot of, you know, business reasons, you know, there's a lot of different things we're talking about the, the metaverse. But fundamentally, from, to me, when we're looking at some of the key economic models behind it, you know, particularly looking at things like Facebook and so on, you know, what they're actually saying is, you know, the world's kind of scary. We're going to create a place for you to go and escape from it and spend more time in a digital environment than you currently do. Um, and while we're there, we're going to, we're going to market to you relentlessly. Um, that doesn't sound really, really attractive. And it doesn't sound like it's helping humanity flourish in any particular interesting way to me. What I do think is that there's, if you spend time with uh, with kids and teenagers who spend an enormous amount of time gaming, you know, it feels like a, an irresistible journey towards that type of world, Mark, though, right? It does. It does. It, it, absolutely. And I think, you know, and, and don't get me wrong, I don't think it's it's not going to happen. I think there's probably parts of it that will happen. But yeah. I actually think there's other technology firms that are doing something that is probably more more interesting to me. I think the best technology is the technology that kind of disappears into the background most of the time. Yeah. I think when technology becomes the centre stage and the actors all at once, I think, you know, we've kind of lost our way a bit. But if you have a look at what, you know, what, what Apple's doing, for example, you know, they've been laying the groundwork for a kind of a different approach for a long time. You know, Tim, you know, Tim Cook's come out and said, you know, we're not, the metaverse is basically at odds with our strategy. <laughs> it's, you know, it's a different, it's not where we're going to head. Um, and, you know, they've been laying the groundwork for a long time for a very different approach, which is, is, focusing on privacy, focusing on what happens with your data for a long time, you know, now the FBI won't, can't get your data, you know, all those kind of famous use cases that came out about that. Um, <clears throat> why is that important? Um, well, they've, you know, been investing really, really heavily in things like, you know, digital assistant, like like Siri. Siri has been mocked, you know, kind of been not as advanced as the others, but if you have a look at how much, you know, where they're spending all their R&D money, it would overlap with something like Siri. Um, now, Apple's pattern in, in the past has always been invest, 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 and innovate, and then release something that changes the market. And I reckon that's probably what they're going to do with something like Siri. Um, now, but in order for Siri to work really, in order for a digital assistant to be more than just, you know, simple actions, you know, going, hey, set a calendar invite and do this, and, you know, you know basically just being an interface for search, um, but something that can actually do something for you, it needs to know a lot about you. It needs to know, and where does that get that information? It gets that information from all your data. Now, you know, if they've set this model up for us being the ones that you can trust that data, well, they might. Now, this is a market category that doesn't exist yet, but who becomes the bank of your data? And then once you've got the bank of data, you know, once somebody becomes the bank of your data and looks after it, then those digital assistants can actually do really, really interesting things, you know, like help you make better decisions on a day-to-day -day basis and, be there supporting you and you know helping drive new interesting experiences. Now all of that would happen in the background, 
you're not it's not you're not inside the environment the whole time um but it could provide little nudges going hey you want to do this with your life maybe make this decision now maybe go over here here's somebody you might want to meet um, um and that becomes a highly highly integrated digital world where everything's working together um but but in many cases actually invisible um and to me i think that's actually you know that's there those are the times where you can start to see you know parts of you know where it's you know when we're talking about humanity flourishing that's yeah. you know that's that's where it becomes very interesting for me yeah really interesting us around the the front the next frontiers of technology right it's extremely exciting and and, and a little terrifying as you also touched on <laughs> yeah 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 it is it is it's and it's you know i think um you know it can go really it could go very wrong very quickly i mean that's the yeah. thing about the technology it, you know it can become very very powerful um but it's you know what's them coming all the way back to you know how do you set a strategy you know you've got to have a philosophical standpoint to start with you know what is it that we're going to do how are we going to help our customers and not just extract money from them but how are we going to help our customers flourish in the world and why does our brand what role does our brand play with inside of that and then you build your kind of your technology and your business strategy around that and as well as outside of of course going on your masterclass and completing the executive mba yeah. uh, which and i i will say that that this mini masterclass is no substitute for that full course <laughs> i just want to <laughs> make that clear to everyone <laughs> but uh, we have you know, we have customers and customers and listeners out there across the realms that you've talked about government and uh, and, and the justice space and, and education you know what what else would you how what else would you recommend people listen to like what 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 do you where do you tune into podcasts and so forth to, to keep on top of this you know really fast changing world yeah i i think digital transformation obviously it's just it's such a broad topic but um looking i mean i spend uh, the podcast that i've spent a lot of time listening to uh things like there's one um boston consulting group and MIT put together, I think it is, called Me, Myself and AI. Um, that's, I find that really, really interesting. You know, the different ways that different business leaders around the world are using artificial intelligence to drive business outcomes, how they're thinking about it. But it, but it touches on everything from, you know, actual, you know, here's what, here's what, a, here's what some a one business is doing to here, here's how they're thinking about the ethics of it. Here's how they're thinking about, um, you know, the, the risks around it. Um, and you know here are the types of capabilities that you thinking might be required into the future i find that i find that a really really i find that really useful um <clears throat> uh i think there's i mean i spend a lot of time you know reading um obviously you know, you know the normal kind of like a harvard business review uh mit sloan those kinds of things where there's you know lots of new concepts that are being put up on a regular basis um and I suppose the other thing that the other thing I like to do is um, is listen to kind of podcasts. They actually often have nothing to do with digital transformation. That are that are that are telling stories um, that join dots over long periods of time. Um, that you know that that um, there's one called Radio Lab based in the US, um, and it's often it's nothing to do with technology, but it's looking at one cultural. It's what one aspect that's joining dots and I think as a digital you know doing digital transformation doing the strategy I think that becomes the biggest skill um, which is 
how can you see changes in behavior or changes in the environment and then start to see how that's going to change over time? Um, you know, it's very hard to see around corners, um, but if you can, you know, if you can become much better at seeing those dots being joined um, and understand, you know, where future impacts are going to be, then your strategy is going to have a longer term view and you end up being probably more impactful. You know, there's, there's probably lots and lots of other kind of, you know, industry things that I could sort of point people towards, um, but they, they're more, you know, I don't listen to a lot of those things on a regular daily day basis. Um, I sort of pick up individual episodes that, that you know, that are resonating with whatever, whatever I'm sort of focusing on at that point in time. Yeah. No, look, awesome. I think that we've reached graduation from our mini masterclass. <laughs> Thanks so yeah. much. It's been, I think I'd certainly feel enlightened and, and better educated and inspired. And I hope our listeners feel like they will be, uh, how would you say, greater digital transformers of the future. <laughs> yeah. I think we debunked some myths along the way. And I think it was that focus on, you know, not just the technology side, but that weight towards the importance of the people side and that, and that, that, that uh, change and bold leadership uh, has just been fantastic. So, uh, look, thanks, thanks so much for, for coming on, Mark. Oh, my pleasure. It was a yeah, fantastic conversation. And yeah, look, I mean, you know, if, if, uh, you know, if anybody picks up anything in this that helps them drive a project that, that and, and make it a little slightly more successful, then, you know, job done. Awesome, Mark. And where can our listeners learn more about yourself and uh, the work you do at W3 Digital? Um, they can go to our website, so w3.digital, or they can go to my website, which is markcameron.com. Uh, Awesome. Thanks so much again, Mark. We'll catch up soon, buddy. Yeah. Cool. Thanks for coming. Cheers. On. Thanks to everyone for listening.